Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, there we go, there we go. We're just start, we're all waiting around for the thing to start like this. Welcome to the Because Money podcast. Um, I am Jackson Middleton, also known as The Kilted Broker. You can follow me on Twitter, at Kilted Broker. We've got Rob Engen. With Hello. Boomer and Ekin. Boomer and Echo. And he, he said, <laughs> I'm the Ekin. You're the Ekin. Yeah. Boom. Um, you can follow him on the Twitter, at Boomer and Echo, conveniently named Twitter handle. And Sandy Martin in black and white. How are you, Sandy? Black and white. I'm good. 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 And Sandy tweets at Sandy Martin SPF, which stands for Spring Personal Finance. It actually took me a long time to figure that out. I'm like, what are these letters for? And then it was, yeah, okay, SPF, Spring Personal Finance. Well done. So uh, today's episode is number five, and we're calling this The Fees Strike Back. And Rob is going to be uh, driving the conversation. Sandy and I are going to sit back and look good, and Rob's the boss. So uh, here we go. Well, this all kind of started when uh, I was tasked to do a series of articles for the Star. It was kind of like a beat the fees series. So it was kind of about it was about uh, how to how to avoid your bank fees and how to how to get around certain fees that we just hate to pay. And and the article that followed that was uh, something along the lines of, well, which fees are worth the money? Well, what do we what do we actually like paying? So. I sent out an email to our readers at uh, Boomer and Echo, and I got some interesting responses for, um, you know, what constitutes a good fee. Uh, uh, so whether it was value or it provides peace of mind, um, you know, or you're uh, you're getting, you know, so- something that makes it worthwhile. And so I got some interesting responses. Um, I'll list off a few of them. We were talking about this before we went live, and uh, one of them was uh, the Costco membership. So this one was pretty polarizing. Uh, you know, Costco, you pay $55 a year uh, for the privilege of standing in line, not finding a place to park, taking home their garbage uh, cardboard boxes, and, uh, it, you know, but they do have great deals. And so, you know, not nece- it's not just about buying in bulk necessarily, but, uh, you know, I think our Carrie, Carrie Taylor, who's the blogs at Squawk Fox, she did a great series or a great article on... Uh, is a Costco membership worth it? And she actually, you know, looked at, you know, some of the products, you know, frozen vegetables and different things and compared them against what you get at, you know, someplace like a superstore. And uh, the quality was far superior for most items. So, you know, so it really depends what you buy there. For some people, it is worth the money. For others, um, you know, they can't be bothered. And so, so that was an interesting one. And um, I don't know, Sandy, what's your take on, uh, on Costco? Are you, are you a member? Sandy, you're muted. I'm muted. (laughs) So was I. I'm muting. I would like to be, but the closest Costco is 40 minutes away. Okay. So an hour and a half round trip for, um, uh, yeah, and and that amount of time and three kids at Costco, it does not benefit me at all to do that. What about you, Jackson? Yes, I've been a Costco member for many years, and we do our big monthly grocery shop there. Um, there's a lot of things that we we like. We actually buy our you know our fruit and vegetables there. Um, get a good big sh- uh, grocery shop of those. There's lots of things. Now we find that 
there's a lot of crap we don't need, and buying bulk, you kind of waste some things, but yeah. we've really been able to hone down what we like. Um, you know, being self-employed, I can shop. I, I actually do the grocery shopping in my family, which is kind of bonkers, but uh, I really enjoy it, and uh, we do the family shop at Costco, and get two carts, put the kids in, and, yeah, go during the day so the lineups aren't that bad. Um, from what I can tell, I don't actually... Uh, I'm not on a lot of prescription medication, and I'm sure everyone wanted to know that, but from my understanding, the prescription meds that you can get at Costco are really... There's a real deal there. So, right. yeah, I pay the membership fee. Does it irk me? Yes. It bothers me that I'm paying money to shop, but... You can't get that stuff anywhere else. It's in bulk. I mean, what would I do without my three-bean trio? Can't get there that anywhere go. else. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm starting to... I've been a member for six years now, and I'm starting to think I spend a little bit more shopping there. I went... I did a brief experiment where I just didn't go there for one month, and my grocery bill was quite a bit lower. I don't know if that was just an anomaly, but, uh, you know, we're spending three, $400 there when we go, and so... Um, you, you wonder, you know, are you saving versus are you, uh, you know, are you just buying too much, you know, for what you get there. Uh, but Sandy brought up an interesting point, which, uh, you know, you're, you live far away or, you know, you, you can't get there. So uh, Amazon has launched a, a, a new service now uh, where they're actually delivering groceries or they have grocery products available. So uh, I thought this was really interesting because Amazon... Uh, also launched a new service in Canada called Amazon Prime, and so it's a it's another fee, and I, I signed up for this. It's a seventy nine dollar annual fee, and what you get with Amazon Prime is that they'll give you free uh, two or three day shipping, uh, and and you know if what what irked me about Amazon was if you'd want to buy something, say a book for fifteen dollars or nineteen dollars, well you'd, it would have to be twenty five dollars to qualify for free shipping. And so you'd either have to pay the shipping or you'd, um, you'd end up adding something, you know, that you didn't really want at the time just to, just to get the free shipping. And so, uh, so that's what I like about this Amazon Prime is that it doesn't matter if what you buy is $5 or $500, it's uh, free two or three day shipping. And so I wondered about your thoughts on that. And uh, I've signed up for it. It's a, uh, like I said, it was $79. Uh, annual fee, but uh, it's a 30-day free trial. So I thought, well, there's uh, no better time to try that than during the Christmas season. So I ordered a few uh, Christmas presents. They all came, you know, in within a week uh, of ordering, and so uh, I've been pretty impressed with them so far. No, no flying drones have landed on my doorstep yet, but uh, I've, I've heard that's coming as well. Sandy, what are your thoughts? Well, for books, I always use Book Depository unless it's not in stock, um, because it's free shipping no matter what. Um, and I hate that feeling of having, you know, well, usually the book that I buy is about ten ninety nine. Every once in a while, I'll treat myself to a new Terry Pratchett. That's ten ninety nine, eleven ninety nine, maybe thirteen dollars if you include the tax and everything else. So, um, yeah, it really burns me to to be sitting there knowing what's happening in my brain is well, you should if you spend twelve dollars, you'll get something else for free, and I can pick a book. I mean, I can choose a twelve dollar book. That's no big deal. But I don't like that that's happening in my brain. <laughs> but for I, I I was in the States recently. My husband's from Pennsylvania, and so we were visiting family, and his aunt signed up for Amazon Prime, and she was telling us about, like, the TV that they get, and you can borrow Kindle books as part of your membership. Like, okay. And it's, I mean, it's not the same in Canada. As far as I know, I would love to be illuminated. I would love somebody to tell me, no, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
that happens frequently. But in Canada, you can get Kindle editions and everything else with Amazon Prime like you can in the States because really the States offer is is actually pretty amazing. If I was there, I would I would immediately give line up to give my money to Amazon so they could give me all the things that they want to with Amazon Prime. Jackson, are you a big order uh, online? Amazon, are you a shopper there? This is probably going to shock m- most of you. I don't usually buy things online. I actually only found eBay like last year and then kind of started my stamp collection and was like, man, I can buy stamps online for so cheap. So, and then found out that it was like a stamp was 89 cents and the shipping was $89. But I mean, I, I learned. <laughs> the collective. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, it was, it's all about it. But no, the I found that it was... Online shopping's never really been my my world. Um, I did just order some Christmas gifts, but again, it was off of eBay. So maybe I'll uh, move my 1998 consumption patterns to the you know 2002 and make the jump to Amazon and you know uh, do that. But I do all my my books on Kindle. Um, I, I like shopping local. I don't really do a lot of the online stuff. I'm not opposed to it, but it just hasn't been my wheelhouse. If uh, if they were to deliver by flying drone, would you sign up? Um, yes, that would be kind of awesome. I could get headphones if they would. Fly, I've kind of got a headphone collection, and if they would fly me some headphones, free delivery by drone, like second level of my house, I would be in. Yeah, completely. Why not? You uh, mentioned before we went live that you're a Netflix subscriber. That was another fee uh-huh. that would come up. Is the is the subscription worth the money? Uh, so I think what it's about seven ninety nine a month uh, here in Canada, and they were kind of uh, blasted for the the sur- or the selection I guess in Canada. But from what I, I've tried it out now, and it looks pretty good. We've been watching, uh, catching up on Breaking Bad, and uh, but have you ever have you ever been exposed to the American Netflix? Uh, I haven't had a good look at it. Okay, so we're missing out. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? It's, I'm kind of like we're comparing a 2 to a 43. Like, there's really, yeah. I mean, I there, there may or may not be a service called unblockus.com, and it may or may not allow you to mask your IP address, and you may or may not be able to get American Netflix in Canada, and the selection is considerably better. So yeah, I it's five bucks a month for unblock us and oh, another like, fee, another fee. Hey, I'm but it's only five bucks. I mean, right? But of course, five bucks is five bucks. It's when you add it to your Netflix and your library goes, it's totally worth it. Awesome. Um, and I can tell you that Sharknado is on both Canadian and American Netflix. So. You won't need anything else to watch ever in your whole entire life. You can just watch that over and over again and try and figure out what the conversation was that created it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, cable's a big one that uh, people talk about. You know, there are uh, ways to get around cable. Um, I think uh, Mark from My Own Advisor had a post uh, that said why he's not giving up cable was because of the you know sports and, and kind of some premium channels. I know I'm a big HBO fan, so I like to have that access to that. Um, what are your thoughts on cable? Uh, is, is that a fee worth paying, in your opinion, Jackson? Nope. I don't like cable. I don't have it. It rots my brain. I'm not kidding. When I have TV and I can turn it on, I just sit there like this. <laughs> 
for hours. But when I don't have it, I just limit my access to it. I mean, we still watch our shows. We we uh, we can get it on CTV or you know we watch we watch shows on Netflix. But I, I find that it's not there. It's just the mindless consumption with cable because then you start telling yourself, "Well, I'm paying for it, so I better watch it." Yeah. And the the actual channels that I like, I like the educational stuff, like you know uh, the national. And then you watch those shows like Locked Up Abroad, where drug dealers are getting arrested in different countries, and just yeah, it's all crazy. But and then you don't get any work done. You lose your job, and you end up poor. So cable ruins lives. That's what I'm getting. Right. At. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know what? With the Olympics coming up, I think they said the last Olympics was uh, uh, predominantly viewed on tablets and, and desktops. So. Uh, you know, that's that's interesting. I think even the sports stuff that people talk about not wanting to give up their cable for is also moving on, uh, on well, the line as well. Yeah, and I mean, there may or may not be a, a website called justin.tv, J-U-S-T-I-N.tv, that airs all of the CFL football games. I mean, for one year, for the last football season, not this season, but the season before that, I had cable only to have TSN so that I could watch my CFL football. And when I found out that it was available online, I I, I just went online. And, yeah, I just take it and I stream it through my Apple TV to my TV in the living room, and it's good to go. So, so the, the most ridiculous fee I pay is uh, $170 a year to watch the uh, – to get the Sunday ticket for NFL. And uh, I, I – I'd like to say I can't live without it, but it works out to about ten bucks a week, and I watch just to watch my team play. And uh, it, it's it's a lot of misery throughout the year when you cheer for the Cleveland Browns. So I don't know that it's worth it, but uh, but I'm hooked anyways. And you know, for the whole summer, I okay, I've been married for twelve years. For twelve years, I've been trying to campaign to not have TV in our house. Which, I like TV. I mean, frankly, I have the same problem that Jackson has. But I would love to not have TV. And not just for the money. I mean, for any other reason. But I'm part of a unit. And the other half of my marital unit really likes TV. And in particular, really likes the NFL. And in particular, we also have a lot of pain. We watch the Eagles. <laughs> so we're with you. <laughs> but for the summer, we got rid of it. We didn't have any. We only had Netflix. So obviously, we watched a lot of, you know, Really Sharknado. cool things like yeah, Sharknado and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and weird stuff like that. Um, it was fantastic. I was so sad to sign up for cable again for the NFL season. And I'm really hoping that we can find a way to stream it online for the next little while because there's nothing else we, well, we decided. We figured it out. There's nothing else we watch except for yeah. um, NFL. Now, my buddy John on Twitter just jumped in and he said, Cable, exclamation mark. With Unblock Us, you can use Hulu. Who knew? Uh, which streams TV shows a day after it airs for free. Well, I guess for the fee that you pay for Unblock Us and right. then on your Apple TV, but like five bucks to get all of the TV shows, that's a pretty pretty good workaround on cable. And my buddy Brian, I asked him what he meant, but he said, is there a such thing only as only paying fees where there's a positive return or some hurdle rate? I don't get what he means. I asked him, but he threw that out on the Twitter, so I'll see if Brian comes back to us. Well, one of them I was going to bring up was the was a credit card fee. You know, some people are pretty opposed to paying a fee to have a credit card, but if you're a points junkie, um, you know, most of the premium 
credit cards, travel rewards, cashback cards come with an annual fee. And if you, I guess if you just do the plain math on how much you spend and it works out to you earning more money back uh, with an annual fee card versus what you'd get with your regular card, then I guess it would make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sandy, tell us what you really think. No, I was actually just remembering back in my banking days when we used to have, at the CIBC where I worked, we had a select Visa card, which cost, oh, I can't remember now, but I remember sitting down and calculating with people, like, if you carry a balance of X number of dollars a year, then it's worth paying the fee if you're not actively working to pay it down. Um, but and then I was thinking that I actually only just signed up for my first points card not that long ago, so I shouldn't have you. an opinion. <laughs> it's well, all you're doing, Rob. <laughs> there was, uh, I think there's a low, uh, TD has a low, lower fee card. Um, is it their Emerald Visa? It's like 9% or so. something like that, but it, and they charge a $39 fee. So like you said, if you do have a perpetual balance uh, that you're working to pay down, it probably, probably would make sense, I guess, if you could, uh, if you could uh, qualify for it. Well, I think I pay, I've got the top line TD. I actually just moved my banking over from the local credit union because they only had like this global payment card that was kind of like a Visa MasterCard kind of debit card that didn't really work anywhere. And it was so frustrating because I was trying to buy stuff on eBay. But anyways, um, <laughs> I moved over to TD and yeah, I ended up... Uh, taking the top line card and you know we we spend enough that where where I did the math it was kind of like as long as I'm not carrying a balance which I try not to do then uh, yeah I it's certainly worth the points I mean my account was funded with a certain amount of points and I mean I'm halfway on a trip to Hawaii already so there you go. not that I'm going to Hawaii <laughs> do you know I would like to find out if if somebody can put their hands on the study for me <clears throat> I read recently that there was a study was done that um, people tend to spend slightly more on a rewards card than they do on, on cards that they don't perceive to be giving them anything back, other than obviously the convenience of having a credit card in the first place. But I cannot, I've been looking for it, I cannot for the life of me find the actual study instead of just mentions of it. So if somebody on Twitter or, you know, the general internet can find that for me, I would be very appreciative. I remember someone commented on uh, one of my articles with, with that study, but he was like he was refuting it. I think he said people quote that study all the time, but they don't realize it was done. Uh, the subjects of the study were you know college students or something like that, mm -hmm. where it wasn't it just wasn't broad enough. It wasn't business users or whatnot, and uh, it was a pretty interesting comment. I'll have to try to dig it up. Okay, yeah, so I, I would love to know. I'm jumping in with uh, with Brian on the Twitter. He uh, he made more sense. He said, uh, watching on my phone, I have to switch apps, but I meant towards investment fees. So he's asking, in the investing world, is there such a thing as only paying fees when there's positive returns or some kind of hurdle rate? So are there financial planners or investors that will only charge you money if they make you money? I think is what he's getting at. If you find Sounds one, let us know. Yeah. yeah, we'd like to sign up with that guy, please. <laughs> or girl. Mm. <laughs> I have never heard of that in my whole entire life. No. Which, granted, has only been 34 years, but I expect to live a long and fruitful life and never hear of that, ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and investment fees, like we talked a lot about products here, but uh, uh, 
like services or advice is another uh, is another fee that could be worthwhile. So the problem here, and I think um, you know David Chilton brought this up about the mutual fund fees, is that the problem is you don't um, you know when you pay two and a half percent MER on your mutual fund, that's not actually coming out of your pocket. And so you know versus paying like a fee only planner or whatever to do up an entire like a more comprehensive holistic plan for you where you might pay a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars up front that that's a little more painful than uh, oh, they're just taking they're just skimming off the top of my returns or whatever this doesn't feel like such a big deal but uh, you know when I, I talked to Tom Hamza he's the president of investor education fund uh, recently and he said you know uh, and it will kind of get into this a little bit later too but uh, when he said he said, you know, paying for uh, paying for an advisor or third-party advice, it's like uh, it's like having a sober second thought when you're, you know, you're about to hit the panic button, like 2008, 2009 financial crisis, or you know, or how you know, or maybe talking you out of buying that rental property when you know, or when you think that the market could crash, you know, it's it, it's giving you that. Uh, that advice that you know makes you think twice about it I guess is what I'm trying to say in the um, you know so a fee where whether the fee is a little more substantial than $7.99 for Netflix um, could save you a lot of money and heartache in the long run don't you agree Sandy? Of course I have to agree but <laughs> <laughs> but it, this, this actually comes back to a comment on something and I can't remember what it was and it was somebody essentially saying, why would I ever pay that woman um, $1,000 or whatever number he used probably for my fees page, why would I ever pay that woman that amount of money for information I could get free from the library? And I would say, yeah, why would you, frankly? I mean, it's not, again, we know this, it's not rocket science what we do, you know, fee-only planning um, or money coaching or kind of whatever term that you want to use you can find most of that information for free on, you know, in a, probably not the library anymore, but you can probably find it online somewhere, like maybe a good blog, I don't know. Do you know of any? No. <laughs> Come on. Um, but having somebody else either do the work for you because you just don't feel like you're up to it, it's too much work, you have too many other things to do, or you're really just not that interested in money, um, that's always kind of the value proposition that I add to it. You're an intelligent person, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily want to take a look at spreadsheets or take through your statements every month or whatever. Right. So so to me, that could be, I mean, I, I, I always liken it to a mechanic. And actually, this links into something that you were telling me about from Dragon's Den. I am not interested in cars. I am not going to be changing my own oil. I think I used this metaphor last week, actually. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm not going to be finding it out. I want somebody else to do it. It's worth it to me. Instead of digging around inside my own vehicle and being worried that I'm going to make a mistake, it's worth it to me to pay somebody else to do it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was an interesting one. It was, uh, I think it was called Inspect-A-Car, and they did a pitch on Dragon's Den a couple weeks ago, and they're former mechanics from Lethbridge, I think, from Lethbridge, and they have a shop in Calgary. And um, But basically what they do is they say, well, people are scared to go into their local mechanic or or to buy a used car and they're just scared they're going to get a lemon. So what you do is you bring your car and you pay a fee uh, to get them to look at it and provide you a report. And the report's not going to make any recommendation. They don't do any body work, any, anything like that. Any, uh, they don't fix it. Uh, but they'll tell, you, they'll tell you what's wrong with it, what's right with it, um, whatever you need to know so that you're armed with the information to go to your mechanic or to go 
counter back to the guy you're buying the car from um, and, and make an informed decision. And, and I think they call that, you know, when you go in without the proper information, but the other person on the other side has more or better information, they call that information asymmetry. And uh, this kind of levels the playing field. You get that third-party unbiased advice that I think a lot of people would uh, appreciate, especially in, in cars. I'm intimidated by buying a car, going to a mechanic, and uh, I'd certainly appreciate having uh, someone on my side uh, to give me the proper advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then what I'd worry about as a consumer, I would think, well, aren't I paying, if I'm, if I'm buying kind of this sober second thought, either in a car mechanic or in, you know, kind of fee-only planning, am I, am I going to be paying twice? Like, so for the car instance, you know, they, they charge you that $70 to run, to basically plug their diagnostic tool into your vehicle. Right. So am I going to, can I walk in with that report and then have them say, oh, you're right, and now I'm going to act on that and then kind of have a harmonization of both of the fees? And I think about that with kind of investment, you know, um, not plans, obviously, but um, kind of portfolio audits or financial plans. If then you have to take that information and walk in, you've paid for that, you've paid the fee for that service, and now you have to walk into the place that's actually going to help you put some of those pieces into place. You kind of want a harmonization. I think kind of in an ideal world, and obviously I'm an idealist that way, but in an ideal world you could find services that mesh and, and harmonize that way. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the, 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 sorry, go ahead, Jackson. Well, I was going to say, I actually really enjoyed that video um, uh, on the Dragon's Den. I actually uploaded it to a list. So uh, if you hit the becausemoney.ca, becausemoney.ca, uh, it's right actually on a list. You can just watch that video. Um, but in the video, the, the part that really hit me that uh, was the, the fact that the Dragons invested in the product because they they really liked the the lack of conflict of interest. They really drilled down. Okay, you do you sell the services? And they're like, no, we don't sell the services. Do you make recommendations on the services? No. I'm biased. Here you go. You pay a fee. You get the report. Well, what if somebody starts pressuring you and asks you, you know, uh, should you buy? We will outline what is right about the car, and if the repairs on the car is going to be worth more than the car, we might tell them to take a pass. But I thought their integrity and in how they were doing it was really well done. And the fact that the Dragons drilled down that point was, I thought there was a lot of, uh, I thought it was really cool. It was something to watch there where I think the consumer is looking for a, an extra layer of protection. We're not in a place where, we just blindly believe that any brand we're going to deal with has our best interest in mind. It's just well, not there anymore. And isn't that like, um, not to put mortgage brokers on the spot, but isn't that something that uh, even the bro you know the brokers say we're independent, but some brokers are tied to you know they have a relationship with a real estate agent or a preferred bank, and and somehow they get pulled back into that whole con almost a conflict of interest, wouldn't you say? Is, are there brokers that operate it's, like that? Uh, well, the, the, wow, that's like can of worms opened. Um, I love talking about this. Uh, the biggest problem, biggest problem with the mortgage broker industry is volume and the way that the, the back end of the, the system is structured. Yeah, I could take your mortgage right now and I could get a mortgage done at 50 different lenders. But... I have to do a minimum amount of volume with each lender before they're going to give me preferred rates. 
So that was the biggest problem I had at Highland Mortgage Partners. I ran my own shop. I was doing good business. I had three lenders that I had status with. Status is considered, volume gets you status, which gets you discount. So you have to have the volume to get the discounts to keep your clients happy. So for me, Rob, you come to me for a mortgage, and I say, yeah, I can get you a mortgage. I got 379 at First National, 379 at Street Capital. Any other lender I take you to, because I personally don't have status, I'm probably at 389 or 399. Where's your best choice in dealing with me? It's at the preferred lenders. So what do the preferred lenders do? they start giving you spiffs and bonuses. Now, yeah. it's not really like that. It's not, I mean, it's, it's completely more impartial than the bank. I mean, the banker's working for the bank to make the bank money, period. I mean, I'm completely unbiased, and I will get you the best mortgage that I possibly can, and I will honestly say nine times out of ten, the rate that I'm going to get you is the best rate on the market because I've positioned myself with the most appropriate lenders. However... You're absolutely right. This whole, it's a sham to say, I've got access to 90 lenders. No, you don't. You've got access to five. You deal yeah. with five, and it's it's like anything else in this world. You develop a great relationship with them. For me, I was a relationship guy. I could, I could get mortgages closed on relationship with my underwriter, and that was the service that I offered my clients because let's say you're coming in, well, I'm, I'm still in probation. I've only been in my job for three months. Okay, let's see what you can do. If the rest of the file makes sense, my book of business closed at a very high rate. I had a lot of good clients. I can get that done. There is leeway, so you can leverage your personality and get things done that way. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I think that there's a lot that rolls into the, the conflict with clients. So and I think a lot of brokers play up the 99 lenders or the 50 lenders like uh, as a ploy against the banks to say, oh, they're just, oh, yeah. and I can have access to all this, but you're absolutely right. And I'd feel a lot more comfortable if they just said, Hey, look, you know, I, I deal with these three. I know they're going to give me the best rate that better rate than you can get. And, uh, on your own. And, and I'd be totally, I'd be totally cool with that. It's, and uh, you know, I can get, you know, a hundred different, uh, lenders on, on board to give you anything. See, and that marketing message is so old. It's just, it's what the marketing message was 10 years ago when we were offering choice as opposed to a single bank. But then the message kind of started going into, well, we choice gives us the best rate. No, no. The, the broker channel is there because we are an efficient partner. The broker, I, I'm a mortgage professional, and that's actually why I sold Highland Mortgage Partners. We actually separate the client acquisition from the administration because I think that even the typical way mortgage, all mortgage brokers, and I, I know that mortgage brokers aren't a fan of me talking about this, but it's two different personality types. When, you're, when you have to go out and hunt your business, you're a type A, you can get it. The type A, like me, is not good at sitting behind a desk and being a type B administrative person. Two completely different people. When I'm supposed to be working on your file, I'm over here talking to my realtor looking for the next deal. So we split up the, we split up the duties, and that's, a, that's what we do at First Foundation, and it, it works considerably better. I so wonder if that's where I'm at with that. Sorry, I wonder if that's a fee that people would, that the market might be getting ready to be able to accept is a is a, a fee for a broker, like a fee-for-service mortgage broker. I'm just 
throwing out ideas into the air, but do you know what I mean? Like, I'll well, pay you money so that I know that you don't have to worry about... Sorry, go ahead. You know more about this than me. Well, I'm, you're, you're nailing it because, I mean, I, I, know, I, know, I don't necessarily want to use the mortgage broker industry as a case study in this, but, I mean, we've gone from saying we've got choice to customer service to now we offer the lowest rate. Well, now what we're doing is we're actually, a lot of brokers will use their commissions because they get paid bonus on volume, they will use their commissions to buy down the rate, and that's what all these rate sites are like, rate supermarket, rate hub. So they become rate discounters, and then it's very thin margins, but it's a volume game. So they do a lot of advertising and stuff. So the question is, is for how long is that going to work? So what is the next step? And, you know, maybe it is, if our industry is going to become a commodity, if you believe that a mortgage is a commodity, then I want the best features and I want the lowest rate. But if you believe that the mortgage is a service and that a broker provides you with customer service, understanding, education, hold your hand through the process, then that's a different thing altogether. But as for the commoditization of our industry, um, yeah, I think a fee-for-service type where I take my entire commission, buy down the rate, to buy down the rate to as low as I can go. Now, hey, I'm advertising lower than every other mortgage broker, and I charge my client a fee for the service. That might be potentially where the industry goes. Now, is anybody talking about that in the mortgage broker industry? Absolutely not. It would freak us out. Well, I think, I think, the, I think the day of reckoning is going to come where the consumer says, I'm going to, I'll be willing to pay a fee to cut through all the noise and the bullshit and give me, give me the unbiased re real deal on it. Like, just like this, just like the, the inspect a car and the fee for service planner, it, it's, uh, that, that's where it needs to go. And I mean, it kind of, we kind of, uh, we, we had this on our list of things to talk about where, you know, Nobel laureate Robert Schiller saying, you know, everyone deserves to have, or everyone should have access to a financial planner, and and that could have actually averted the crisis, uh, financial crisis, two thousand eight nine, with someone giving you that sober second thought of buying, you know, you know, no income loan houses or whatever they were doing, um, you know, at the time, and uh, and actually, and what was the most interesting part of that article, I don't know if you got it up there, Jackson, but the um, was when he said, and the government should be looking at providing some type of incentive for advisors who uh, will help out the, you know, the lower income or lower asset holding households uh, and providing a sound plan for them. They're the ones that are getting into trouble and taking advantage of. What do you guys think? I think that that is a good idea. <laughs> I wonder if it's horse to water in a way, and I don't mean in a derogatory way at all. I just mean if the government is kind of, um, um, kind of, you know, you know, my, I mean, <laughs> the daddy government is is offering financial planning assistance to people who they believe are making poor choices, obviously, or they wouldn't be offering assistance to, let's say, low-income families or people that they believe are at risk of being taken advantage of, how often is that going to be actually used? I guess it doesn't matter, though. Sorry, I'm thinking out loud, obviously, as I tend to do. Um, but if it, it doesn't matter. I guess if you really make a difference, if, if, a, if a program like that could make a difference, 
in a couple of families' lives, I imagine it would be worth it for those people anyway. I guess it would be just the idea of subsidizing something that might not necessarily be beneficial because those people didn't actually seek it out. It was given to them. Do you think there's a pain point? Like, how, how worthwhile would a mechanic's advice be if it only cost me $5? Let's say it cost me the Netflix subscription. So $7.99 and I get somebody's advice about financial planning or, or my car. Do you think that that would be as valuable to somebody who pay? And I obviously, I'm not going to keep second guessing myself. Do you think it would be as valuable to somebody who paid, who kind of had to think about it a little bit harder and made the decision to pay more relative to their capacity to pay? I don't know. Maybe there's a different tiered model. Like a, this tier, yeah. you get this basic plan, right? And, yeah. And that's that level of financial literacy, whatever you can package that into you know, that you'd pay $250 for versus, you know, and then, you know, that advisor is then topped up to his full rate or her full rate by the government. Or um, some kind of compromise. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to jump in here because I'm a staunch right-winger and I guess I just I completely hate this on principle alone. But, I mean, I just don't believe the government should be interfering with anything. Get rid of all social programs, everything. Let's just fund it through capitalism, but that never works. Um, I get it. Um, no, I don't like the government being uh, getting involved with this. I don't think it's the government's responsibility to, to teach financial literacy, simply because I don't think, if people actually cared, there's enough resources right now on the interwebs where they could go, they could read a couple of good blogs, maybe I know two of them right now, where they could probably get great information, and if they just invested their time they would get the knowledge. But to have the government pay for something that they're not doing on their own just seems absolutely ridiculous. Now, do I believe that everyone should have a financial advisor? Yeah, it's super important, but it doesn't happen. And no, having the government spend more of my tax money on that for people that are probably just going to waste it away makes zero sense to me. Full disclaimer, I understand I'm ignorant. <laughs> oh, no. And, and oh, so no. then, so then, does it come down to more or better regulations on on uh, this industry then? And is it are, are people just getting fleeced left and right, and that's the poor choices they're making, or are they just making poor choices and spending more than they are? Well, oh. well, what Can are we at? One hundred and sixty-three percent of uh, is that one hundred and sixty-three percent of our. Uh, annual earnings is what we owe in debt right now per Canadian. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, from, a, from a mortgage point of view, looking at the home as being, you know, uh, generally the biggest financial purchase you make in your life, um, Minister Flaherty is doing a great job of making it hard to qualify. I mean, in 2008-2009, we could do a mortgage 40-year amortization on a rental property at 100% financing. That's ridiculous. It was bonkers back then, and it's bonkers now. But he is tightening it up. I mean, we're back. We're straight down to 25-year amortizations. They're looking at cutting 30-year amortizations on conventional rate mortgages. They are doing everything humanly, governmentally possible to make it hard for people to qualify for houses. Now, on the one side... It's more of the kind of existing money already in a house that they're making it harder for. I haven't seen a lot of crackdown on the first-time buyers, which I personally really think 
is a smart move because I like to see people getting into the market. Um, if they raise the minimum down payment to 10%, that will absolutely deflate any bubble in the Canadian housing market. Hmm. Do you know, can I go back to one, can I just go back one step past, I, I like talking about the mortgage, the housing market, but um, I don't know that there's going to be a, like a financial literacy month type solution to this to the to the kind of go back to the Robert Schiller mm -hmm. you know the people who need financial planning don't really have access to it I think part of it I think it's going to be one of those messy patchwork solutions in a way so there has to be financial planners who focus less on the high net worth people obviously I focus less on the high net worth people so I'm going to say that but so there has to be financial planners who don't look at your balance sheet and say well you don't have $250,000 or a million or whatever to invest so I can't talk to you so and I think that's coming. I think there's more of those showing up, like the money coaches, um, and then other people who are just kind of working independently. Um, but I think that there can't. We uh, Jackson, I just wanted to address the whole. It's kind of free online, but I don't know, Rob, if you have. I think you probably have experienced this, where you write something. You know, you're giving. You're one of the people who's supplying the free online information. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people read that, and they're really intelligent people, and they can access all. Of, there's so much information that most people read an article about, whatever saving. What was the last one that that your mom wrote? Saving money for for Christmas. Right. Um, and then say, okay, well, what about my situation though? Yeah. Can you help me just apply this to my situation? And I think there has to be some meeting of this free information and some kind of low-cost way or, or fairly low-cost way for people just to get somebody to help them walk through how that might apply to them. Yeah, you know? They need, that, they need that bridge for sure. And, and we get it all the time. You know, you write an article and then, and then you do get those emails or those comments. Well, you know, well, we're single income or we're, you know, I get paid monthly versus biweekly or I have a pension or I don't. And uh, so how does this apply to me? And, uh, you know, it's hard to get that free information uh, when it's general like that, you know. So we're getting some love from we're getting some love from the Twitter. Brian says there's two things. Uh, how would you then verify trust for investors, a third party rating system for advisors? And some people can't learn because they don't have an IQ. And then um, I believe it's John, uh, the holy potato. Uh, he says, I can think of a great many more ways the government can make it harder to qualify. I asked John how. We will see if he responds. Oh, there it goes. If only someone put a workshop. Local. Oh, he wants lo local workshops in libraries. There we go. Oh, I think that's a great idea, John. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> do you guys go to libraries? Honestly. I do. I do. I actually see that really? it's happening in um, in our library. There are some workshops like that. Um, the trouble is, and, and going back to Sandy's comment about the Financial Literacy Month and the literature that comes out with it and whoever puts on the seminars, they're all sponsored and funded by the banks. So, yeah. you know, again, you kind of get back to the, the conflict of interest or, you know, there's, a, there's you know, uh, I read a financial literacy book that was put together in Manitoba, but it was uh, sponsored by investors group right and so which is you know that's that's fine that they're funding it but it's one of the areas where we kind of get people to you know shy or could get steer away from you know going to an investors group where you're going to pay it you know really high uh, MER on your mutual funds and that sort of thing and you know so that, that the one I saw at our library I think it was sponsored by one of the credit unions 
which is fine if they're going to put the money into it, but I, I just can't help but think there's there's the conflict of interest there. It's got it's got to be there. Someone's going to be handing out their business card afterwards. Yeah, and, and, and was, you just get that sleazy feeling. And I and I actually, frankly, I get that myself. I was at a Christmas party the other day for um, some real estate broker friends of ours, and I had to wait for coffee that ended up not being hot. I was I was peeved, <laughs> but um, there was a gentleman beside me, and we kind of were waiting for coffee together. And he asked, you know, kind of why was I there, as as one does at a party. Um, and I said, well, I'm here because we're friends. And he asked me what I did. I said, I'm a, I'm a financial planner. And his eyes glazed over. Like, actually, I actually saw his eyes glaze over because I expected, I mean, I'm sure he expected me then to ask him about his insurance coverage or, you know, whatever. And it doesn't mean, just because that kind of person also can sell products, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily a horrible planner. Obviously, it doesn't mean that. But I think that when, when people who wouldn't otherwise even think of accessing that kind of service, so these people that we're talking about that need that low-cost help, that's what they think of. I can't change that except for by actually helping them one at a time. There's no other way that I think I can do it. So the only way that I could have ever changed that guy's mind is if he actually asked me a question and I didn't tell him insurance, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's if, the public if, perception that we can't change. And if Sandy Martin ran the workshop in at the library in Gravenhurst, then again, what would, what would be the outcome at the end? Would you hand out your business card? Are you there fishing for business or... You know, that's I haven't why, had that's a local it, client yet. That's where it goes back to, you know, sorry, Jackson, but it kind of goes back to that government service where they don't have anything to sell you other than they mm -hmm. want you to make a good, sound financial choice. Yeah. I know. It's but, government. I know, but, Ugh, but government doesn't do it, anything. Oh, it's going to have to be some kind of messy solution like that, though I just don't see any other way to provide it on a one-on-one -on -one basis on any cost-effective kind of way that's still, if it's cost effective for the person offering it, then it's probably not going to be as meaningful. Like if it's a group session and nobody has a chance to ask questions, yeah. how meaningful is that really? They could just watch something on TV, you know? So there yeah, has a lot to of people be some rather, kind of one-on-one. -on -one. And, and I think that's why blogs and, and commenting on blogs have, have become a lot more popular now is that, uh, you know, you, you kind of lose that embarrassment factor or that I don't want to look like a dummy in front of all these people, so I'm not going to ask that question, whereas yeah. I can do it online. Um, you know, so you're right. I think the group session probably doesn't work. It's not going to solve those problems. So I'm jumping into the Twitter here because uh, uh, Noel D'Souza, who was our guest last week on episode four of the Because It's Money podcast, says he's tried to offer the financial plan workshop at the library. No response. Yeah. And, uh, and the potato says, uh, in response to my question on what more would he do to uh, help close the mortgage market and get it tight. Uh, he says, close the five-year loophole on qualified rate, adjust CMHC availability based on rents, no need for it in big metros, and uh, reinstate the cap to some reasonable multiple of average income. Interesting. Uh, and then he jumped in and said, same here, no response to the proposal. That's what he was hinting at. So apparently he's offered the financial plan workshops in the library to uh, no response, which... Yeah. Doesn't surprise me because I didn't know people go to libraries. I'm being honest. I I've never been. Like, <laughs> no. But well, they're more public spaces. That's where we go and rent movies now for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they took over all the blockbusters. New releases. Really? Yeah. Wow. Had no idea. Things you can learn. <laughs> there for you go. For free at the library. Yeah. <laughs> 
only don't don't keep them for very long because someone has a fifteen dollar library fine. <laughs> That's not good financial. Not a fee. Planning. Not a fee worth paying, right? No, I'm supporting my local library. It's uh, it's an ideological fee. Mm -hmm. there you go. Mm -hmm. So what are we for time? Are we are we expired? I think we're out of time. We're out. We're out. Well, there we go. We didn't even we didn't even get to to starting a business on a credit card. I guess that will have to wait. We could do a whole show on that one, Jackson. Let's do business. Let's do small business next week. Small business next week. Okay. Uh -huh. and, then, and then I think we're gonna break for for Christmas, right? That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah, and then I'm hoping to get Melissa Leong on the show and talk about weddings. And how she, we judge other people for their weddings. Yes. She's fabulous. I like her blogs. I like her videos a lot. They're fantastic. So. Well, there we go. So we're gonna we're gonna we're out of here. Thanks everybody for watching. Thanks for joining us. We had uh, hundreds of viewers and uh, yeah. We will see you all back next week. <laughs> all Thanks, four <guys>. of you. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.